belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for October 17th, 2021 is called, You Want Me to Invite Who? The speaker is John Ray and the location is Vesser Point, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I recently caught up with an old friend. I don't know about y'all, but um, it's been a while. Like, there's been a lot of relationships because of the pandemic. Maybe people you haven't seen in a year, year and a half. People that you used to regularly run into, bump into, have acquaintances with, and then all of a sudden you haven't seen them for 18 months. You haven't seen them for quite a while. And with all the divisions that have happened, all the all the things that have happened in our society, all the entrenchment that we're seeing over various issues. Um, again, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but but for me, there's there's a little bit of cautiousness there. Anybody else feel that? Anybody else that way? Like like you don't. All of a sudden, it seems like our our relationships, our conversations are fraught with all these landmines of, man, you don't want to go too close to that because you don't know which way that's going to go, right? So you have to kind of have to navigate your way through that. But we started talking. We were old friends. We started talking and asking each about each other's families. Um, and then he, he, he quickly opened up. And he said, for years, I thought churches were built by gathering people with like minds said, the pandemic has shown me how wrong that was, how that leads to division and unjust judgments. He paused and looked, and I, I nodded. I, could, I was tracking with him. He said, instead, I've come to see that what we need are like-hearted people. Sure, what we think is important, but if our primary concern is about what people think, groups become increasingly isolated insulated and brittle only being in community with people who think like me is ultimately destructive this is him talking he said i know i need to be in a community with others who may think differently but have the same heart in grace church i think paul would nod along with this in agreement i mean sure paul writes in other places to be of the same mind but unless that comes from the heart it leads to division And there's also the fact that in Greek, mind and heart are not as separate as they are in the English language for us. But here's the deal. People who don't think like us, act like us, think differently, hold different stances on things, threaten us. Paul and Phoebe knew this. As a matter of fact, this is what was tearing the church in Rome apart. It was two groups who were called to have the same heart, but who thought very differently over, over matters, were tearing at each other, were judging each other, were refusing to meet with each other. And the church can't survive if that continues to happen. So Paul and Phoebe they're getting together and they're writing, they're sending this message and they're inviting the church into an alternative way to consider the situation, an alternative way to consider their lives, an alternative way to consider 
the history, their purpose, everything. Because this is what the gospel does. It invites us into a new imagination, an alternative reality and narrative to that of the world. But taking up that new way of thinking, acting, and feeling isn't easy at all, is it? It's hard to change our minds. It's especially the older we get, the harder it is to change our minds about what is real, what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. And y'all, this is one of the reasons why church is so essential. It's the place where we practice this new way. It's not just a matter of mental assent. It's not just changing your mind. Our lives have to change. Our imagination has to change. And that takes practice. And that's why we meet together. That's why we commit to one another. This is what church is, is supposed to be, is this place where this kingdom of God among us living is made manifest, is incarnated, is understood and practiced. It's the place to wrestle and to rest. The place to be encouraged and called out. It's the place to learn by doing. Well, we're going to see this in the text. But what we have to understand is, Paul and Phoebe were absolutely clear about one thing, and we're going to see this in the text, that the kingdom of God is open for everyone. There are no pre-qualifiers, there are no exclusions, there are no disqualifiers. That the kingdom of God is open for everyone. But they are also equally true, or understand this, that that has serious consequences. That comes at a cost. While it is ultimately freeing, yes, it also costs us all something. And as followers of, followers of Jesus, we must constantly be returning to this truth. These are our roots. This truth is our root. This is where we, we live into and from. We must be constantly be returning to the person and ethos of Jesus the Messiah and doing in this in a way that acts as a constant critique of our practices and privileges. And so we see this argument. We, we talked about We introduced it a few weeks ago, two weeks ago actually, um, that the verses in chapters 9 through 11 in Romans is this address that Paul, and, and I, we, we are saying Paul and Phoebe because Phoebe is the one who is giving the message. Paul is the one who wrote it. Phoebe is the one who is delivering it and engaging with the audience. That they're addressing both the strong and the weak. And we're going to look at that, the understanding that the weak here are the Jews who have returned to Rome and who don't have social privilege. They don't have the, the class privilege that the Romans do. Paul addresses them as the weak in this issue. And we're going to talk about the strong next week. And what we're going to look at is what is the issue? What is the argument? And what is the answer? What is the issue that Paul and Phoebe are talking about here? What is, what is their argument about it? And what is the answer that they offer? We need to remember that this was addressed to the believers of the Jewish tradition. And it, utilizes lots and lots of questions. As I hope you'll dig into this text during the week, you'll see that there are just question after question after question. And we read that as one long monologue. But we need to remember that when Phoebe was doing this, when she was addressing this, she would pause. She would ask a question and then stop 
and that there would probably be an ensuing discussion. So it was meant to involve the hearers of this letter. And I would ask you to read it that way. It's a, it's a really interesting way to read. To read the text, and if there's a question, just stop and give your own answer. Respond to the text, and then see what the answer is that the text gives back to that. And Paul quotes, when he's addressing those of the Jewish tradition, he just quotes the Old Testament left and right. I mean, he pulls from Genesis, Exodus, Hosea, Isaiah, Malachi, Nahum, Leviticus, Kings, Deuteronomy, Joel, Jeremiah, Joel, and Job. He pulls from all of those in the tradition, making his argument. He gives a sweeping overview of the history of the people. Their consistent invitation and calling, failings, and fractures. And he speaks of God's relentless rescues and responses. And I'm not going to read all of this because it's a lot of text. But I want you to look at it. But I want you to understand as we do this, let's start with the issue. What is the issue, the, the root issue that Paul is addressing here? Anybody want to take a stab? For the Jews, for the weak, that he calls the weak here. What, it is, what is it that is motivating their behavior? Anybody want to take a guess? Tradition, definitely. It is wrapped up in tradition. That is definitely part of it. There's something else there, though. What did I talk about with the kids? Fear. It's fear. It's fear that they're going to lose their identity. They're going to lose their privileged possession and position. And there's this thing, and maybe y'all can, I, I don't, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. It's, is it vagal theory or vagal theory? De dealing with the vagus nerve, it's vagal theory. So vagal theory is this idea that people can't learn when they're scared. And that you can't take in new information. If you feel threatened, that you actually can't change your mind. That, that there's part of your brain that won't allow you to to interpret new stuff because all you're worried about is survival with it. And so, in a way, it's like I told the kids, like, it doesn't really help to just say, don't be scared, right? Don't be scared of spiders. Like, it's, it's so simple to say that to someone, but for some reason, like, that doesn't work. I, I don't understand why that doesn't, right? But it doesn't, right? There's Something else has to happen to, to make us feel not scared, and then we can take in the new information with that. But Paul is giving them an argument towards this. He is saying, hey, here are the reasons not to be scared. But why, listen, was their fear justified? Was the Jews' fear justified here? Well, I think in many ways, yeah. Have you ever had that situation? And those of you who watched, um, I know this is topical, but those of you watching Ted Lasso, have you ever been in that situation where you uh, you felt like you were someone's best friend? Yes. But, and here's the sad thing, Carly, and then Charlie, is that all of a sudden they get a new best friend and you're left out. Is that like not the worst feeling ever with that? Like, in a way, I think that's how the Jews were feeling. Like, they were the chosen people. They were God's chosen people. They were God's best friend. And now, all of a sudden, it seems like maybe God's got a new best friend. Maybe, maybe God's new best friend are the Gentiles now, 
where does that leave me? Where does that leave us? And there's a very real fear that they have. Plus, remember, they are a persecuted people. Just five years ago, they have been literally run out of town. They are treated as less than. They are treated as other. They are marginalized. They are scapegoated. We've seen this throughout history with the Jewish people. There's very real reason there for them to be concerned. Plus, also, again, like, there's this thing in societies, right? Like, we, we have the, this tendency, whether it's real or not, to create this glorious past. And then somehow feel like, hey, we just, that's been taken from us, and we need to return to it. And I'm sure within this Jewish, this, this Jewish culture, there was this part of, that was like, make Israel great again. <laughs> right? Like they were, they were remembering this glorious past, real or not, and they were fighting somehow. They felt threatened, and they had to get back there. So there were, there were very real reasons for their fear. The emotional part of it. And Laura brought up a really interesting point in our conversation this week, too. That in some ways, maybe the Jews were kind of hedging their bet. Like it was like, hey, yeah, we, we like this Jesus guy. We, we love the idea of it. But just in case that isn't true, like we're still going to keep kosher. We're still going to follow the old ways too. It, it's kind of a way to hedge your bet, right? Like just in case this doesn't work out, we haven't totally separated ourselves. We haven't, we haven't burned that bridge, right? Don't we do that a lot of times? Like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to start, I'm willing to do that, but I'm going to just kind of keep this in my back pocket in case it doesn't work out. So this is the issue that they're, the, all these things are the issues that the Jews are, are feeling, that they're confronted with by this new group of Gentile believers who are in a position of power in the church. They've, they've basically been running the church by themselves for five years while the Jews were exiled. Now they're back and they're trying to reincorporate, and now there's new leaders, there's new rules, there's new mores, there's new ways of doing things, right? And I, and I want to stop here and just make this a little bit more personal even. What is it that scares you? Right now in your life, what is it that scares you? What are you afraid of losing? And how does that fear keep you from loving someone else? This is the big thing. How is that fear keeping you from welcoming someone else? How is that fear keeping you from risking on behalf of someone else? That fear may be keeping you from loving yourself, even. From truly accepting yourself may keep you from accepting someone else. It may keep you from reaching out to someone else. Because once we identify our own fear, then we can start to read the text. We can start to understand it with a little more empathy, a little more insight with that. Well, anyway, so we've identified that. We've identified the, the issue. What's the argument 
Well, if you look at verse 10, if you've got your Bibles, Romans 10, verse 8, Paul's argument, through he's making his, his argument through history that God has always wanted to include the Gentiles. That it's not a it's not a situation that God suddenly changed God's mind and said, "Oh, wait, there's other people in the world. We ought to go get them." It's not that at all. He's making the argument from Scripture that they've always been part of the plan. They've always God's love has always been for the Gentiles as well as the Jews with that. And so he starts and he asks a question again. Phoebe's probably asking this question. She goes, "But what does it say?" In, in a way, she's asking, what does Torah say here? What does what what the, the tradition say? What does our story say? And then gives this quote, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, faith we preach. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and thus has righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses and thus has salvation. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jews and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, who richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I want you to think about that. How many of you have heard that verse before? Right? If you've ever been a missionary, if you've ever been at a conference about missions, or anything, or evangelism, this verse gets brought up. And I, as I, we were studying it this week, I thought, I've probably heard that preached wrongly most of my life. Not, not that it's not true. It is true. What is, what is literally being said here is literally true. But it's how it's used. And I want you to think about this too. People who are concerned more with my personal safety, this can quickly become a formula for my own self. We can use it like a spell. Like, I'm just going to repeat these things so I'm okay. And again, I, listen, hear me say, this is true as it, in, in the literal sense. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, everyone who confesses. What a magnificent promise. But in the context of this situation, in this argument that Paul and Phoebe are making, it is actually a threatening, in a way, proposition. Because what they're saying is the emphasis is on the everyone. We put the emphasis on the saved, right? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Me. Paul is saying, Phoebe's saying, everyone. And if you're used to being the chosen one, if you're used to being the golden child, if you're used to being the one who's God's best friend, that is threatening. That is challenging. You are being called out. Paul and Phoebe are, are here saying, look, you can't keep playing the way you're playing. You can't keep isolating, getting smaller and smaller and more rigid and more rigid more cut off. He's saying, no, it's everybody. Everyone who calls upon the name. 
Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, as Paul goes on in other places. Everyone. That's the argument. The argument is, you can't do that anymore. You can't be that way anymore. It's for everyone. So what, what's the answer to this? If that's the argument, then what's the answer? What's the response? Well, it, it was really interesting. I think it was Laura. I think Laura was who said this in the, in the meeting. Or maybe it was Tim. He said, a why question is not a head question. When we ask why, that's not a head question. That's not an intellectual. It's a heart question. When we, when we cry out, when we're challenged, when we're called out, when we're threatened, and we ask, why, God? Why? why? Why do I have to change? Why is this this way? Why do I have to do these things? It's really an emotional question more than an intellectual question. It's, it's something speaking to the, the way we feel. Again, back to that vagal theory, right, of something of our, our security, something with, that we, we want to not be threatened. We don't want to be scared with that. And so the answer is not more information. Information has a role for sure, but the information, the, the answer is more in trusting. It's more in putting our faith in something or actually in someone. Just like when I ask the kids, like, what do you do when you're scared? Who do you run to, right? I mean, even though they say run away with that. <laughs> The truth is, more often than not, they're going to run to the parent. They're going to run to that person that makes them feel safe. Not the person who just sternly says, don't be scared. They're not going to run to that person. They're going to run to the person that holds them and says, it's okay. I got you. It's all right. We're going to do this. Yeah, there are scary things out there, but I've got you. That's the answer here. That's where Paul and Phoebe are saying is, they're going to bring it back around and say, the answer is to go to Jesus. The answer is to look to Jesus. The answer is to believe in Jesus. The answer is to run to Jesus. That's the answer to these things. Just like I said, in this, in this society where we're having to, to navigate all these complex relationships, all these conversations that are full of filled with landmines, all the worries of the world, all the temptations of the flesh, all these things that threaten us. The answer is Jesus, the person of Jesus. That's, he's the answer to our why. Not a, not a doctrine, not a theological stance, not a formula, not a spell, not a confession, but Jesus. Jesus is literally the answer. And for the church, that was especially true. Uh, Rowan Williams is, is quoted as saying, it is not the church of God that has a mission, but the God of mission that has a church. When we go to Jesus and we see this, and that's what, that's what Paul and Phoebe are saying. They're like, when you run to Jesus, when you look at Jesus, this is what you see. Jesus is reconciling all people. Man, woman, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Greek, Scythian, everybody with that. 
So we are both comforted and challenged as well with this when we go. And in grace, this is where we start. We start with this idea of belonging. We start with this idea of, okay, we're going to be embraced by Jesus and seek to embrace others in the way that we are embraced. It starts with belonging. And then we practice that, as I said. We we have to practice this because it, it is a whole new imagination. It's a whole new way of being in the world that does not come easy, y'all. Don't let anybody tell you it does. Yes, we have those mountaintop moments. Yes, we have those epiphanies. But in the day-to-day grind, it takes practice not to be scared, not to be ruled by fear, to act out of love instead of self-preservation with that. And this, in fact, as we practice this, forms what we believe. And then it starts over, and then we confess what we believe, even if it's aspirational, and that leads us to more belonging. And all these things work together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we start. Because what I want to do, how I want to end today, is with practicing this, a very tangible way of practicing this. When we come to this table, what we experience, what we are being offered in, invited into, is a new way of imagining things. We are being invited into a new way of believing, but also a new way of being. Jesus knows us. He knows our fears. He knows our limitations. He knows our capacities. And so while, yes, Jesus definitely offers information, we we need the information that Jesus offers, ultimately what Jesus offers is Jesus' self. That's why on that last night with his disciples, he didn't give them a a creed. He didn't give them another doctrine. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. He gave himself. Just like like when your child comes running to you scared, you, you offer yourself. You hold that person. You hold them close. That's what Jesus is doing at this table. He's saying, here I am for you. Nothing held back. I am broken. I am poured out. There is nothing that I am or that I have that is not for you. And that is where we find our comfort. That is where we find our belonging. And that's where we find the safety and the security to live into the new imagination that the gospel invites us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.